Thank you for joining another wonderful episode of Success Innovation. Today's episode is called Bless Your Own Truth, Defy All Odds. In this episode, we have the privilege of listening to Jordan Mendoza, the CEO and founder of Blaze Your Own Trail. We learn about his early beginnings and how he has been able to overcome so many obstacles, both personal and professional. We discover that this dedication and tenacity allowed him to achieve creating his own successful venture. We learn how he manages to pivot in a virtual environment during this 2020 pandemic. Welcome, welcome Jordan Mendoza. Let's get started. Welcome back to another wonderful episode of Success Innovation. Thank you so much to the audience, to the viewers, to the listeners. This is a YouTube a video episode as well as a, a audio version of the, the podcast. And today, today I'm really happy to welcome Jordan, Jordan Mendoza, who is the founder of his own podcast called Blaze Your Own Trail. He is also a sales and training professional with over 25 years of experience in sales and marketing. He also has 14 years of multifamily housing industry. Welcome, welcome Jordan Mendoza to Success Innovation. How are you this evening, sir? Hey, Lazaro. Uh, first off, thanks so much for the opportunity. Uh, so happy to be here. No, thank you for, for making this uh, a reality for me to, to actually interview you. Now, can you kind of give me a little brief summary of who you are, your early stages, where you were born, your experience growing up, and then the most fondest memory as a child. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was uh, born and raised in the Pacific Northwest, so uh, Portland, Oregon. And uh, I, you know, I've got kind of a unique situation. So um, I was, my mom was actually born with one lung. And this was back in uh, 1958. And um, if you know anything about the 50s, the technology wasn't that great right back then. So uh, essentially, if something like that occurred, the doctors uh, basically said, listen, you, you probably won't live past 18 and uh, you definitely won't be able to have any kids, you know? Uh, but my mom was just one of those people that was a fighter, you know, even though she had to use oxygen most of her life, she still didn't look at her disability as disabling her, right? She still was trying to be as active as she could. She got, you know, me and my brothers into lots of different sports and, and she figured out how to do different side hustles to, to make money, you know, whether it was going to play bingo or going to the, uh, the Greyhound races, you know, figuring out ways to, to get money because really it was, you know, food stamps or disability, right? That's the income that you have. So uh, she was very creative, but also she was a very kind person, had a good sense of humor, was big into sports. So she got all of us kids, you know, involved uh, in sports, you know, and she, she passed away in 2012, but you know, they told her she wouldn't live past 18. She lived to 54. They told her she wouldn't have any kids. She had five boys, Mm -hmm. which one of them she actually had after she was uh, 40 years old. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you look at the, uh, hand she was dealt wasn't a very good hand, but she made the most of it. And she taught us how to be kind and empathetic and, you know, all those really good values that I carry with me today. And, you know, my, my dad was uh, an immigrant from the Philippines. He migrated to the U S in the early eighties. And, you know, he grew up in a province called uh, Nueva Vizcaya. It's in Northern Luzon, Philippines. And 
you know, he worked on the rice fields when he was seven, right? So he learned hard work at a very early age and after school went into the military and became a seaman and eventually, you know, came over to the U.S. for that American dream, right? He wanted to uh, figure out a way to uh, start his own business. And so he got a job with a landscaping company for a couple of years and then eventually started his business, which he's had for over 40 years, you know, and some, some things that he's taught me in life are, you know, make sure that you're always working hard. You're always trying to be better, you know, tomorrow than you were today, right? Always have that tenacity in that fight. And so a lot of who I am has really stemmed from different pieces of them. You know, as you get older, you think about people that influence you and how they've affected your life, how they've shaped who you are. And, you know, those are really the traits that I get, that I get from them, you know, that I get from uh, my parents. But yeah, so childhood wise, you know, we, we didn't grow up in that great of neighborhoods, you know, it was uh, uh, definitely all kinds of crazy things that would happen and, you know, didn't have a whole lot of money. So I think from uh, being born till a 14, we probably moved more than 15 times, you know, a lot of, a lot of moving around. And I didn't know why when I was a kid, you know, you don't understand. You're just like, Oh, we're going, going to live at this new place, you know? So it doesn't really af- affect you that much, but in hindsight, you know, of course we, we probably couldn't afford it. So we had to figure out, you know, uh, a different place to be, you know? Um, but um, yeah. So when I met my dad, actually for the first time, I was 12 years old. I didn't, hadn't, hadn't met him. Uh, I think I met him maybe when I was two didn't remember it, of course. And so that was an interesting experience, you know, growing up in, uh, in Portland and then he lived out in DC. So I would actually go out to meet him for the first time at 12 years old. And, and that was a really crazy experience because, you know, you grow up with your family and now you have this whole other family. He had remarried and had a couple kids and, um, you know, and they lived a different life. Like he had, his own business. So he had money, you know, so it was very interesting going from where I was at to here where now we're going to six flags and he's buying me what I, you know, like it was just a, a very interesting experience. And I remember I'm you know, almost feeling bad, you know, for my brother that they weren't getting to experience, uh, experience that side of things, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was very interesting, you know, when I actually made it back that summer, uh, from spending a few months there. So, um, so, you know, I would say that childhood was good. I learned a lot of lessons. You know, you, you think about uh, the, the formative years and, you know, really for me, um, coming from, you know, adolescence up through to my youth and to into my late teens, you know, I had uh, three pivotal moments that occurred in my life that really give me a unique perspective Um, and you know, in fourth grade, it was the last day of the year. It was a a picnic, you know, we're celebrating the end of the year. Uh, we were at a park called pier park. Um, we're playing baseball. I get up to bat. I swing the bat. It, I spin around, you know, like you see in the movies, the bat flies under a tree and I go to pick it up. I stand up. There's a beehive on top of my head. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm getting stung. I'm running. Kids are running away from me because there's a swarm chasing me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's just a crazy scene. If, if you can imagine what someone being stung by bees and other people running away. And finally I get over to the teachers and they had these picnic tables with big, big coolers and they start dumping these coolers 
on me and swatting the bees and pulling them out. But I got stung 53 times wow. in fourth okay. grade. Well, I mean, you so figured, you I mean, figured out that you're not allergic to bees. So. <laughs> that's right. I, I figured that out or we wouldn't be having this conversation. Of right. Course, yes. And so that was, you know, that was pivotal moment one, right. In fourth okay. grade. So fast forward three years to seventh grade, we had moved again. No surprise. Right? We moved from um, one part of town to a place where it was about two public bus rides away. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know in, in miles, maybe 15 miles away mm-hmm. or something like that. But um, you know, I didn't want to go to this, the school in that neighborhood because it wasn't a, it, it was the worst neighborhood than I was in. Um, so I wanted to, I convinced my mom to let me take the public bus. And of course she did some trial runs with me to make sure I knew the route. And she's one of those, she was very good at communication and talking to people. So she made friends with the lady at the Seven Eleven that I would be stopping at waiting for the next bus. You know, she was very strategic in that sense. So um, it was in seventh grade. I was on my normal route. You know, I caught the bus at my apartment community, took it uh, over about 20 minutes to the 7-Eleven. And then I had about a, a 30 minute wait. And every day I would go in and play Mortal Kombat 2. It was the arcade game mm-hmm. in the store. That was my go-to game, right? And so I'm playing the game one day and I hear the door chimes of the 7-Eleven like they do. And I hear a man's voice and he says, Hey, Daniel. And I just heard it. I'm playing my game, but I'm not Daniel. So I'm not going to, I have no reason to turn around. That's not who I am. Mm-hmm. I just remember hearing this voice. And as I'm playing, um, all of a sudden I get lifted up. Like I feel my body being lifted. I'm shoved against the Terminator 2 pinball machine that the gun was the trigger. So my ribs get shoved into that and I start getting punched. And I look behind me and it's a male police officer. And he's literally beating me and he throws me on the ground and he like twists my arms around and handcuffs me. And the lady <laughs> that knows my mom and knows me is saying, his name's not Daniel. That is Jordan. He's in here every day. And the lady cop is yelling at her saying, shut up or we're going to arrest you too. And they take me to the cop car. Wow. I mean, so just, I mean, crazy situation. And I kept saying, listen, my name's not Daniel. It's Jordan. Like, look in my pocket of my jacket. I have my homework in there. And finally, for whatever reason in that moment, the guy stopped and he got my jacket. He grabs the paper. He sees my name on it. And you could just see his face. It was like he saw a ghost Mm -hmm. and he's like, crap, like we screwed up here. You know, Mm -hmm. they were looking for a Hispanic runaway, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, for one, I'm not Hispanic, right? My Mm -hmm. father's from the Philippines. My mom's, Irish and then Chippewa, uh, Indian, Native American. Um, but again, a lot of people think that I am right. Because I have, I have a certain look, but again, you know, this is one of those situations where this happens and they call my mom and say there was a misunderstanding, you know, they didn't, you know, divulge everything that happened. But of course the lady saw everything. It was on camera. You know, we had all of that. And so, you know, everything went to court. They lost their jobs, which is what I wanted. I wasn't, I didn't want to take this thing to a, try to get any settlement or anything like that. For me, you know, I knew that they were bad people, right? Because I I think there's bad people um, and bad people work in lots of different positions, not just police officers, right? There's bad teachers, there's bad doctor. I mean, there's bad every type of position because it's not the position or the job. 
right? And I knew that I had that self-awareness uh, at 12 and, I, and really I just wanted that closure and I wanted that to be done, you know? Right, right, and right, right. so you fast forward from there, seven years, at 19 years old, I had gotten a job in California. I was doing sales. We were uh, getting ready. We're pumped. We're going to open a new office out in New Jersey. So we're making this drive and we're taking the scenic route. You know, we're young. I'm 19. The, there's some 21 year old, you know, it's this caravan of cars and we end up going towards, you know, Salt Lake City and to Phoenix and Vegas. And we kind of make our way through the country until we hit I-80, which actually stretches all across uh, the United States. And we're driving, it's late or really early in the morning, if you will, around four something in the morning. Uh, we're in Wyoming. Um, I'm in the back seat of a Chevy King cab. And it was one of those where you could sit forward or you can turn sideways. And I was turned sideways because there were boxes and stuff. So I felt like it was easier to sit like that. I had fallen asleep. I woke up to my friend, the driver. He wakes up because he fell asleep at the wheel. He overcorrects himself. We start sliding at 70 miles an hour and then the truck just starts to flip and I'm just in like, feel like slow motion. I was trying to hold on to the top and then yelling and then the truck lands mm -hmm. and I get out or my two friends get out, but the driver's gone. He gets ejected from the driver's side windshield and he lands on the other side of the highway about 25 yards from where the truck landed. And he doesn't look like he's not moving. He doesn't look like he's in good shape. And I didn't even realize I was injured at this time because of the adrenaline. I mean, I got out of the vehicle. I stood up, but I reached down. I felt like some, something on my leg. I reached down and my uh, hand actually went in my leg. I had a cut about a fist deep and 12 inches long on my right leg and an eight inch cut on my left. And I had to get rushed to the hospital. Our buddy got life lighted. Uh, to another hospital in Casper, and I had you know 52 staples. They they told me I might not be able to walk right, and so uh, that was that was a you know tough situation to deal with. Um, but you know I I think about all of these situations right from fourth grade to being 19, and what I've been learning over the years is you know adversity. Uh, really isn't for us to keep to ourselves, right? It's actually anything that we go through, any trial or struggle or adversity, it's, it's meant to be shared with other people, you know, with the hopes that they can maybe see things um, with a different light or a different perspective, right. you know, and adversity also, I believe, increases your emotional intelligence, you know, and, and helps your ability to be able to handle emotions when you experience trauma, you know, it actually gives you an ability um, to uh, handle certain emotions. Wow, that's a, those are really pivotal moments. And uh, th those are really hard truths uh, that a lot of people probably probably have not experienced to, to a certain degree, you know, like that seventh grader getting punched and confused with a student or a, a runaway and, and getting picked up by the police mis by mistake and getting hurt. And then that incident when you're about 19 or 20 years old, when you get flipped over on a car and have that uh, injury to you, but also seeing those individuals that are friends of yours or coworkers getting hurt to that degree. That's, that's a really interesting and powerful image that causes a memory and that causes certain feelings to 
kind of get in, in, imprinted into who you are as an individual, but obviously you learn off of them. And by, you know, by that learning, you start to realize that you as an individual have to essentially brand who you are and share with the world this is this is me this is what i've lived this is what i've experienced and share that with the world so what exactly is branding to you and how do you get to it well i think um you know branding or you know if you look at it from the context of you know building a personal brand it's really showcasing who you are uh, really that that's what it is and and listen brand is synonymous with reputation right that's what you know you can really put those in the same category and so uh, do you want to be known as someone that isn't you or do you want to be known for just being you know you as an authentic human right like the way that you show up on a podcast is the same way you show up to your your best friend's uh, wedding right like if there is there shouldn't be any difference in how you show up in person on camera you know uh, in writing, like it, it's, it's got to be you. And, uh, so, and it's what people remember, right? It's, it's what people, uh, get, look forward to being around or seeing, you know, it's, it's, it's all of it because the brand, you know, you, the goal really, if you were a brand is to build a community, right? To build a, a network of people that, um, that you can add value to because that's, you know, from a content creation standpoint, the, what I do is I look for ways, how can I add value to my audience? How can I teach them something in a lane that I have information on that will add value to them that if they use this information, they could actually take action on it and it could make them better in some way. Right. And I think if you look at it from that point, Right. Not like, not like what's in it for me, but what's in it for them. You know, uh, there's a lot of magic that can happen. So when you first, you know, that's, that's at this maturity level, because that's when you realize that what, how to brand yourself and what steps to take. Well, yep. Let's go back to the younger branded. You don't know you are who you are, regardless of where yep. you go, but you don't know that you're branding yourself. You don't yep. know the definition of branding when do you recognize what actually branding is and that gives you more power to actually follow through and push your brand a little faster and with more emphasis and commitment how does that happen for you um you know it's it's very interesting because you know if i if i look at it like in hindsight right if i think about when i was a kid and you know the 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 things that I did, whether it was, you know, selling candy bars and beef jerky for soccer and how I love that feeling of, of, you know, walking up and asking somebody to buy something, right. Or selling baseball cards. I used to sell a lot of baseball cards. My great grandmother would buy them. I would go into little conferences and there'd be people selling cards and I would go and flip baseball cards, you know, I would do the same thing with action figures back when I was back when I was younger. So I always had this um, knack for um, trying to figure out how to communicate with people in a certain way. Right. And so I, I think about that. And I bring this up because I think that has to do with branding. Right. I mean, if you're um, like marketing is a part of sales or they're, they're different. Right. But the marketing is what gets to the 
to the sale. Right. And so I think I was, you know, I had a lot of information around that just by seeing how people move, right. Body language and facial expressions. I, I, I picked up on that at a, at a very young age. Um, now if we think about it from like the professional branding standpoint, um, honestly, I, about 14 months ago, I logged into LinkedIn, right? Uh, had the, had the account forever. I think like a lot of people, it was where I was going to go if I got a promotion, right? Let's highlight a job or congratulate somebody else. And I log in April of 2019. And I think at that point I'd connected with maybe 7,000 people or 7,000 followers. And, um, you know, because I had just done it. It wasn't something I focused on building a network. It wasn't something I was really, uh, it wasn't on my radar, honestly. And I just started consuming content. I noticed a lot of people were creating video and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like people are talking and doing these different things and, uh, being really creative and it was, uh, heavy on content. And I said to myself, I was like, this, this platform has changed, right? And so I, I started consuming. I started coming up on uh, different creators and influencers. I don't know if you're familiar with Justin uh, or um, Brian Shulman, familiar mm -hmm. with Brian Shulman, right? So, yeah, he does What's Good Wednesday. He does uh, Shout Out Saturday. And I started consuming his content. And I was like, man, why, like this guy's super positive, right? Like he's not afraid to be on camera. I was like, maybe I should start, you know, creating videos, you know? And, uh, so, you know, I, I actually reached out to him. I connected with him and, and he encouraged me. He's like, yeah, he's like you can, you can absolutely do this. He's like, you know, folks talk about things that, you know, like, what do you, he's like, you know, sales talk about that. You, I teach a six month leadership program. Like talk about those things. You know, I teach on emotional intelligence and uh, strengths-based leadership and conflict. So I just started creating, but it was so interesting because I actually got a, I, I had a goal that I had just got, I think in February and I was trying to figure out, you know, what social media platform I could use to help educate our, our onsite teams and our corporate teams. And that's kind of why I stumbled back onto LinkedIn in April. And my very first video that I ever posted was actually asking for people to help out with those strategies. Right. And it was, terrible video. I didn't, I don't think I was looking at the camera, you know, it just was, I remember looking back how terrible it was and how focused I was on metrics. And, you know, there was like three views and they were all me probably. Right. And, and that's what I was really focused on. And then I started, you know, something was flipping and it was like, listen, stop focusing on metrics and focus on creating, focus on showing up and showcasing the information that you have, right. And do it from that. How do I add value perspective? And right. When I did that and when I got consistent, you know, I started noticing I would be, get a lot more people that wanted to connect with me. I was seeing there was an increase in people that following me. There was an increase in, in engagement, like people were actually commenting on my content. And so, you know, I knew that like, if I want to keep this audience, what do I have to do? I will have to engage back with them. I have to thank them for saying something, right? So I would engage and and before I knew it, you know, the December rolls around and I'm, I hit like 20,000 followers, you know, from April to December. And it was, and it was a big milestone, right? Like this is an NBA stadium full of people following you. Like for me, look at it from that context. And it was just very surreal to me that I was able to build the, to build that 
just doing what I love to do, right? What I like, love speaking, love communicating. And, you know, April rolls around, I doubled, I hit 40,000. And then now it's June and I'm, you know, 52,000. I think I looked the other day and it's just, it's, it's weird to think about that, you know, when you start creating the type of impact that you can make and, and that, you know, there are people that are actually looking for your information, you know, it just, it still blows me away to this day because, you know, to me, 14 months is not a very long time, right? It's it's not, it's it's not a very long time, but um, you know, the interesting things that were happening as my brand was growing on the platform, of course, you know, you start getting tagged. So people are like, follow this person. And so it was happening globally, like from all different time zones in the world, someone would, would be tagging me. And so my, you know, people just kept following, you know, like, okay, you tagged him. Let me see who this per- like view your profile. Right. So those things start going up. Right. Mm-hmm. And people started reaching out to me because they were noticing like my content was getting a lot of engagement and what, what are you doing? How are you, you know, how is this happening? And so, you know, people started asking for advice. How, what are you doing? How are you doing this? And so um, a, a few months passed by and I was talking to my wife and she's like, right did you tell me that people were asking to pay you money to teach them something? And, and I was turning everybody down. I was like, Oh no, I've got a full-time job. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. And then she's like, why are you telling people? No, like, you know, like, right. Like there's plenty of Uber driver, like people driving Uber, people doing the side, like, why not? You know, you have time in the evenings or on the weekends, like, go ahead, start saying, yeah, you know, so I started saying yes. And I started consulting on different things, right. In in the lanes that I have skill sets and information and some coaching and um, um, build how to build your brand, right. How to optimize your profile. So I started uh, doing that. And then, you know, that just started building. And then uh, January 1st, I launched the blaze your own trail podcast and it's been live for six months. This uh, yesterday, I just dropped uh, episode 31 in total for in the second season, you know, it's been, it's been an incredible journey at, you know, I've never would have thought if you would have asked me six months ago, I would have, you know, even a third of the guests that I've had on, right? Like, cause you know, it's a, it's a small community and you just start meeting people and you find out how uh, amazing people are and, and how they want to network and, and how everybody wants to help each other. And that's just been, it's been super rewarding. You know, um, the show has been ranked in, um, I think four or five different countries, you know, which has been crazy to see that, um, to see it being impact in other places other than the United States. And, and that's really why I created the show. It's, it's, uh, to hear about people's journeys uh, of how they got to success. So like, you know, what did they have to go through? What were the trials? What were the lessons? And then, you know, what are some tips they can give about, um, the information that they have to the audience to add even more value. Right. And, and uh, I think that's what it's all about. Right. You know, as you, as you learn and grow, you know, I think it's your responsibility to help others because there's, I know there's plenty of people that have helped me along the way. You know, you don't get, you don't move ahead and you don't experience growth unless people are there to catch you when you fall and kick you when you need to be kicked, you know, to help get you to that next level. Right. So branding can be positively and negatively affecting in, in your career path and your person. So how can we, or from your experience, 
how can we avoid that negatively branding portion? How can we take the path more in the positive versus the negative? Yeah, I mean, well, I think for one, you know, make sure that um, you think about uh, your content while you're before you create it, right? Like if if you think it's content that doesn't align with your values and your message, uh, that's that should be a good indicator that you probably shouldn't shouldn't post it, you know? Right. Um, and, um, you know, cause you, again, you, you want to be you, you want people to see, um, to see exactly who you are, you know? And if all of a sudden your messaging shifts in a whole different direction that isn't in alignment with you, then that might, that might confuse people, right? That actually might have people go, Hmm, that doesn't, that doesn't actually line up. Right. Yeah. So people, you, your audience is very smart and obviously they watch or they follow a certain individual because they like and they align with those values and those visions and missions. And if you all of a sudden start doing off, you're going to start losing maybe that audience. But then it's up to you to determine, okay, do I want to really veer off onto this direction? Is this something that I want to continue pursuing? And you'll definitely start switching your own audience to follow you if that's what you really want to do but yes do be a conscientious individual when you're making that conscientious decision so what's the difference between branding and marketing ourselves well i mean i think they're um they're definitely both almost uh the same thing right because you're if i'm marketing me or i'm building a brand if you're building a brand, you are marketing, right? You're, you're marketing yourself. So yeah. I almost see them as um, uh, maybe not the same, but very similar, uh, of course. So marketing, usually marketing has the, the, the goal at the end of the marketing is a sale, right? It's a, it's, it is, you know, you want, you're building a relationship. You're g giving people awareness of your brand through your marketing to get to an end point, you know, which is typically a transact whether, and again, that end point might be free information, you know, right. that end point exactly. might be them purchasing something from you. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of where I see it. Or getting a job offer or, you know, yeah, absolutely. A career or an internship of sorts or getting investors. Right. I mean like, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a million reasons why you would, why you would market yourself. Right, but right, at, right. at the end of the day, marketing is creating awareness for your brand. So for you, what has, you know, what actually helped you get to where you're at right now? What, I mean, you know, you have a wife that kind of, you mentioned has supported you, but you also have to have to a certain extent belief in who you are and your talents and your abilities. So what would you say to individuals that are possibly doubting themselves? How can you encourage them to go ahead and pursue that? Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a super optimistic person, so that mm -hmm. definitely helps, right? If, if you know, optimism runs thick through your veins, it, uh, it, it really has you looking at the positive situations first, right? It's looking through that lens like my wife makes fun of me all the time you know she's like why do you say this all the time and i always say hey well the good news is right if something goes wrong or something goes in a sideways direction i say well the good news is right i'm always mm -hmm. thinking about the positive so right. if you can figure out how to shift 
and, and be more optimistic, that's obviously optimal. But, you know, for me, mindset is everything, right? It is the game, you know, it is the game in business. It's the game in, in life. It's the game in sales, right? If you've got a bad attitude, guess who wants to be around you? Mm-hmm. Nobody. Mm-hmm. And when you have a good one, it's very attractive, right? Um, and they're very contagious either way you look at them. A negative attitude is contagious. You ever been around people that are grumpy? What happens to you? Naturally, you start, you start, to, get, grumpy, you start right? to get grumpy. And what about when you're with your friends and you're having a good time and you're hanging out? Yeah. That also yeah. rubs off, right? right. So, okay. you know, I tell people in sales all the time, you know, listen, um, there's not a whole lot we can control in life. But the one thing we can is our attitude. I can't control the weather, can't control the traffic or the accidents that might happen when I'm on the road, can't control a pandemic from happening and making me work in in my man cave for three months. You know what I'm saying? But I can control my attitude. I can choose how I'm going to react to the situation. So if I were to give advice to anybody, it's like, where's your attitude at? And do you recognize when you're not feeling a certain way? And what are you doing when you recognize those emotions? Are you taking measures? You know, I take, like to take deep breaths, right? I also maybe will take a walk, right? Everybody has their own coping mechanisms for when you're, maybe you start to feel frustrated. And listen, everybody loses their attitude at some point, right? But some people do it more often than others. And listen, if you can figure out where that balance is for you, then that's how you can, you know, start to start to see success, right? Because uh, like I said, you know, a bad attitude, right? That's leads to low emotional intelligence, meaning maybe you lose your temper quicker than, than somebody else does because you don't know how to manage it and control it. And, you know, it, it, there's plenty of studies that have shown that people with lower EQ actually end up making less in their career because people don't want to work with people that have a, a bad attitude. Right. Yeah. Emotional intelligence, EQ, you know, is very important nowadays because there's a lot of, of, of empathy that has to go into it. And in order for us to connect with other individuals in an empathetic way, we have to be positive and we have to be accepting and we have to be able to, to have those conversations with the different types of individuals. You mentioned something that I want to hone in and you mentioned success and you mentioned how to be successful from your point of view. And I think that from your experience, you were focusing on the metrics when you first started in LinkedIn. And all of a yep. sudden when you said, all right, I'm going to switch that mindset of focusing on the metrics and looking at how many people I have that, like or engaged or actually followed me, et cetera, et cetera. You started focusing on who you truly are and you started developing that content that you really believed would add value to, to at least one person out there. If they watched it and they felt that it made a difference in their life, you would be happy with that. But you were coming from a different type of mindset, more of a positive mindset of helping others. So that in itself led to your success not necessarily looking for that easy way to make money, easy way to make a sell. Although marketing does convert into sales, but you know, the branding portion kicked in and you said, I want to show the world who I truly am. 
as Jordan Mendoza and say, this is what I believe. This is what I have to offer. And then off of that, success came to you because you started making those true empathetic emotional connections to the human aspect of the audience that you had started to accumulate. So I think that's part of the success that you've acquired so far. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, listen, that's the whole, the whole reason why I wanted to uh, get into a training role, right? Because I've, Mm -hmm. I've been doing sales forever. My first job was at 14, um, going, knocking on doors, trying to get people to sign up for the newspaper. Right. This is in 1995. Uh, there might be people listening that don't know what the newspaper is, you know, yeah, you know, cause sure. it's, yeah. it's not, it's not used very often anymore. And so, you know, that first day knocking on a hundred doors, hearing every single person tell me, no, that sucked. Right. That was, that was the day I, on that day, I learned a lesson that has stuck with me today. And, you know, because I, like everybody literally told me no, but what was happening over the span of from door one to door 100 is that I went from happy and cheery to all to seeing literally seeing my attitude <laughs> go into the gutter. So by the time I was probably at house 50, my face was probably like, you want to buy the newspaper? Like I was literally telling them to tell me no, right? Because right. that's what happens when you get down into the dumps. Right. And so, you know, I, I would, I didn't want to go back for day two. And I remember settling up and reluctantly handing over my clipboard to the guy at the distribution center. And he said, Hey, you know, it was a full clipboard. He said, Hey, what happened out there? And I said, well, apparently nobody buys the newspaper. You know, I was like, I'm ready to go. I was just, I was just unhappy. And he said, listen, I don't, I don't know if you'll understand this today, but one day, hopefully you will. And he said, the sale doesn't start until the customer says no. And I looked at him, I said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I kind of stormed off and, you know, I didn't really understand then, but I did go back for day two and I did figure some things out, right? Because when you're doing cold calling, it's all about strategy, mm-hmm. right? Because you have about five seconds when they open that door <laughs> or they're shutting it on you. So I had to get really creative. So I started paying attention to my environment. I started paying attention to flags that may, they may have in the window, the, the type of vehicles they had. Maybe was there art in the yard, right? I started looking for th- ways that I could potentially relate to people. Mm-hmm. And so that I could actually, when that door opened, I opened my mouth first and I mentioned something relatable to break that ice, right? Mm-hmm. Because once you can break the ice and you can get people comfortable in sales, um, it's a lot easier to communicate. You know, there's not, there's no barrier anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. So I started to really get good and and to figure out uh, how to effectively, you know, communicate with people. And that was, that was kind of first job in sales. And I did all types of sales after that. I did um, telemarketing, selling cell phones over the phone. This was in 96. So this is those big (laughs) Nokia phones, you know, my first four customers were all my buddy's moms, you know, and it was just like literally over the phone, I'm selling these things. And and if in order to do that, you got to paint the picture really well. You have to be very descriptive because all you have is your voice. Right. Correct. They can't see the product. Radio DJ. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And And they can't see the product. They, they don't know this cell phones are new. 
no, they didn't have one. Like they didn't, you know what I'm saying? And so yeah. w- when I started doing that and I became like the top salesperson, I was like, man, like I've got something, you know, like right. the door to door thing was great, but like I, I can make some real money. And I was 16 making 800 bucks a week. And you know, I was, I was right. loving it. It was great. Um, right. But, and then I started selling shoes like sneaker, you know, so I got, I, I did a lot of sales jobs, but I got into property management in 2007 okay. and that's we were, around where the market crashed yep. on property uh, yeah. sales, real, real to realtors kind of just took a bust on that. So how did you do, how did you finagle getting into the property? Well, so, so this is in multifamily. So multifamily, you know, although it was hit, um, in 08, you know, with that recession, it didn't get impacted, uh, nearly as much as real estate, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, with, with multifamily, it's like, um, it's almost, um, it's almost the type of industry that doesn't get impacted because, everybody has to have some place to live. Hmm. Like we, right. We all have to live somewhere. Right. Um, and so there were there a lot of delinquency issues. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Like people that couldn't afford to pay because um, of job loss and things like that. Um, but you know, they're in the multifamily industry, there are organizations out there that help. And you know, there's um, religious organizations that help people that are short on rent. So, you know, I think people were able to get by, during those times. But you know, when I started, I was, I got hired as a leasing professional. And so listen, I'm, I'm doing landscaping for my dad. Uh, so we had moved up to uh, Maryland from Georgia, um, doing landscaping, but um, something happens when it gets cold. If you're a landscaper, uh, you run out of work, right? Because right, you, yeah, yeah. you're not, you can't cut the grass when there's snow on the ground or right, right, mulch people's right, lawn. Right, so, right, yeah. so in that time, it's, my dad was like, well, I, you know, you might want to find another job because like, we're, right. we're not going to be working probably until March, you know? Right, and yeah. so I got a, I originally got a job with the window company. Um, and while I was working for that window company, um, I walked into the leasing office one day to get a package and they said, Hey, um, you're very talkative when you come in here. We, you ever done sales? It was just random. Like they just asked me and I said, yeah, a matter of fact, I've, yeah, I've done a lot of sales about 11 years to that point. And they said, well, we're, we have an opening for a leasing professional. Um, I think you should apply for it. So, uh, first question I had was, are there benefits, right? Our mm-hmm. oldest who's now 15 was about six months old and, I didn't have benefits with my dad. And so this was a, this was a big deal. Um, and so they said, yes, I, I applied for it. I interviewed, I got this, I got this job. Right. And this is a whole new world. This is, I don't know anything about this industry and property management, but I knew how to sell. So I had to figure out floor plans and features and benefits and amenities and you know, how I can take somebody from meeting them, through a tour and have them make a $50,000 decision, right? Mm-hmm. A legal signing a legal document that's saying right. they're going to pay us rent for 12 months. Right. So, right. um, I got good at it, you know, within six months, um, I got promoted to assistant manager was in that role. Um, I didn't like that role at all. I hate math right? and, okay. and you're calling people when they're late on rent. It wasn't right. a very right. fun right. job at all, but I knew I wanted to be a property manager at that point. So nine months later I get promoted to property manager actually end up getting assistant manager of the year somehow. Don't know how I got that, (laughs) you know, get promoted to property manager, um, ran a a one person community, me and one uh, maintenance associate uh, for about 10 months. Then I got a promotion to run two communities. 
And then they called me about nine months later to uh, manage a brand new lease up that was just being built in Virginia, our first property. There was going to be a, a REIT property in Virginia. So I get that position. I go manage there. And then, you know, my wife gets a little homesick. So we end up relocating back to Georgia. Uh, I work at a couple communities and then an opportunity comes up for uh, learning and development manager. Um, and this was in uh, 2011 and I applied for it. I went up against uh, a lot of people, a lot of different uh, folks that applied for it. A lot more, in my opinion, more qualified people because they had degrees. I don't, I don't have a degree. I, I knew I wasn't going to do college. I, I wanted to do something in sales related and, um, but I got it right. I applied for it. I got it. And, um, what do you, what do you think that you, that you actually got that position over all of those from your standpoint, overqualified or more qualified individuals that actually applied? What do you think stood out? I th- made you, you stand know, out a lot more. Well, listen, I, your I positiveness think- yeah, you know, mindset. I think it was a, I think it was a culmination of things. But you know, uh, I think I was able to paint a good narrative of why I would be good in the role. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the things that I had mentioned to the, the person that interviewed and eventually hired me was that I have experience doing sales training, and that was going to be, I was part of it was going to build sales content, teach sales training. So I already had that right. But the other thing was this. You know, I had a, I was managing a team in 2011 with a 558 unit property at 17 people on the team. You know, mm-hmm. uh, half of them were uh, office associates. So like lease, uh, three leasing agents, a leasing manager, an assistant manager. And then I had a whole um, service team, a grounds team. It was a big team. And, you know, a lot of the people that were on my team, you know, my goal as a manager and my belief system is this, when you, when you're a leader, you work for your team, not the other way around. You know, your job is to invest in them, to coach them, to teach them so that they can excel. Like I wanted to duplicate myself. So if you're a leasing professional, I wanted to get you to an assistant, assistant to a manager and so on and so forth. And, and so that's what I did and people got promoted. And so that was one of the things that I said, I was like, listen, my goal has always been to invest in other people. And in this role, that's what I'm going to be doing every single day is facilitating training, you know, giving people those aha moments, taking them from here and having them walk out here and have information that can help them grow in their position. And then that's, you know, and then we get to the present moment where you're actually decided to, to be the host of your own podcast, you know, blaze your own trail. First of all, how did you decide to name your show Bless Your Own Trail? And how hard was it actually to launch it or to take that actual determination to actually launch it? Yeah, so the show has a, a dual meaning. You know, I'm from Portland, Oregon, and so I'm a big Portland Trailblazers fan. You know, mm-hmm. uh, ever since I was a little kid, been a Trailblazers fan. So Blaze Your Own Trail, Trailblazer, right? Mm-hmm. So that is part of the name's meaning. Right. But the other thing was, you know, I've always been fascinated by that context of people that have blazed their trail. Mm-hmm. You know, Martin Luther King Jr., Abraham Lincoln, you know, these uh, Lewis and Clark, these, these trailblazers that have done things, have faced adversity and got to success, right? Got mm-hmm 
achieve the goals that they've wanted to achieve. So that's always been something that is uh, hearing those stories has always inspired me. And I wanted to have a platform where I could be the one interviewing people to hear about those journeys and share that and add value to everyone that listens. Because I firmly believe that every episode of mine adds value to someone, right? You know, some of them might have a heavier uh, sports context or fitness, but uh, there's value in all of them, right? Because you can learn things from people's experiences and, and the lessons that they learn and, and help you navigate your life, you know, make, make a change or look at something a little bit differently than you did before you heard that lesson or that story or that experience. Mm-hmm. How did you first, you know, obviously you, you had this mindset, but where did it actually start to, to come up with the idea of I'm going to have my own podcast? You know, it's, it's funny. Uh, I, in 2019, I think it was around May. It was when I started creating content. I was like, man, like I started hearing about podcasts. I was like, maybe I can have my own podcast. So I actually recorded a couple episodes, just me talking solo episodes. Mm-hmm. And I uploaded it to, I think, Buzzsprout. And I signed, I had a free account and I don't think anyone's ever heard them. Like I just, because I wasn't really, I think I called it the um, living is learning podcast, but I wasn't fully committed to the name. Right. Um, I wasn't, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I wasn't just, I just wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so like, if I think about it from an execution standpoint, I can easily see why that didn't get executed because it wasn't right. Like I wasn't in the, in the right headspace. I didn't know I didn't have a plan or a strategy. So it was later in the year, I think it was maybe, September, October, I, I started thinking again, I started writing things down and thinking about, you know, if I had a show, what would it be called? Who would I want my first guest to be? Who would I want my second, right? Started envisioning it, envisioning it and actually writing these things down and mapping it out. Um, and then I talked to my mentor, Brian Shulman, and I said, listen, I'm going to launch a podcast on January 1st. So now I've got a commitment. Now I've got a, a you got, dead, dead and, you got a dead and you got a dead and i've it, told right? somebody about it right, right. my right. mentor the guy that, that's helped me out and so he said i love it and i said listen i would be honored if you'd be my first guest oh. so now i've got a i've got a accountability partner i've got a mm-hmm. date and i've got my first guests right so right. The, so it was on it was on from there so and then it was like all right well um, you don't want to just launch your show with one guest. So like, let's find your second guest. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I made this list of guests and I still have it somewhere. It's on a sticky note. And it was, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk is somebody that I want to get on the mm-hmm. show. Eventually he's on the list. Ed Milet's on the list. Mm-hmm. I put David Meltzer on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlie Jabley's on the list. Um, and I put, uh, Heather Monahan on the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are like the five people and your top five. These, yeah, these are like the top five people. Right, so right, right, right. I, uh, I just started reaching out and I started messaging on, I, I think Instagram, LinkedIn and, you know, Heather responded and she, oh. she said, listen, I said, Hey, listen, I really enjoy your content. love your book. She had just launched a Ted talk at the time I'd watched it. It was so inspiring. And I said, listen, I would love it if you could come on my show and mm-hmm. be my, be my uh, guest on the podcast. And uh-huh. she's like, I would love it. You know, I was like, I was like, holy cow, like she, for one, she answered. And then she said, she said, yes. Right. So, you know, I had my, 
my two guests locked in and then I knew I was going to do an introduction episode that would introduce what the show was all about. So I was going to launch on January 1st with three episodes. You know, this was, this was great. And so, you know, I I would was building my brand at that point. So again, I, by December, I'd hit 20,000 followers. So at launch, I'm a little more than 20,000 followers on LinkedIn. And so I posted it out, you know, and so I got, I got very high engagement, a lot of downloads because again, it was strategic, right? right. So when I think about the, the show that didn't happen, right. Versus the show that did, I mean, there's some very clear things that happened, right? I, right. I got commitment, accountability. I got, I lined up the guests, right. Um, you know, of course I invested in some uh, equipment, a microphone, you know, I spent a hundred bucks on a microphone and some headphones. You know, I was committed. I was ready. Right. And boy, I didn't know what I was waiting for, right? Because uh, there's so much more that goes into it than just finding the guests and recording and, and the interview. What about post-production and editing and, right. and the marketing piece of it, right? So, but, you know, I love every minute of, this, of the journey. Like, I, I just enjoy it so much. You know, I've already had over 50 interviews, I think I've recorded, released 31, um, got 65 or so committed guests already and, you know, more that, that want to come on. So it's just, it's been a crazy journey because my goal was only to get to 50 for the year. Like mm-hmm. I set that goal. It was like, I want to have 50 guests. And so now I think I could potentially double it. And that's just, wow. it's very crazy to think about that, but it's, uh, it's been so rewarding. I've, I've met so many great friends, you know, um, really connected and network with a lot of guests that have come on and we've built strong relationships. So it's, it's, it's been very, very rewarding. You know, you started mentioning the, uh, the actual booking or scheduling of the guest, And you also mentioned the equipment that goes into the actual execution of the podcast and the post-production because, you know, you record and then all of a sudden you have to edit some stuff out or you have to, to put music or you have to put some, text in the actual video interview that you have but you know you know what are the obstacles that you actually encountered and how did you do what are the major obstacles that you encountered and how did you deal with them well i mean i think the first obstacle that any new podcast host slash producer has is is like like you have to think about how am i going to get this in front of people Cause it's all about visibility. It's all about how many people are going to listen to this and where, where do you find those? So I think um, I had an advantage actually because of the sales and marketing background and knowing how to drive traffic where I want to go. So I had a very strategic plan that I was going to teach myself how to create audiograms so I could do one minute clips and I could distribute that on every social media platform that I'm on. So, you know, they go on Facebook, the podcast, Facebook page, they go on YouTube, um, in audio and video format, they'll go on, um, you know, every podcast hosting site. Of course they're, they're distributed there, but they're on Twitter and they're on Instagram. So I made sure that I, I knew I wanted to market them. Of course, contextual to each platform but market these teasers and, and really drive as much traffic uh, as I can, you know, prior to the launch and then on launch day and then a couple days after. Right. Um, so I think having the background and, and being able, cause I already knew how to edit videos and I figured this is, if I can edit video, I can edit a picture, you know, add these things on, you know, 
Um, and so it was, it was easy to figure out. So I didn't really, I didn't really have an obstacle there. I think, um, for me, it was just getting comfortable was probably the biggest obstacle and not being nervous. Right. Because like I was going after like people that I looked up to, you know, I, I had the pleasure of having David Meltzer on my podcast who, who is so influential in the, in the business space. And, um, you know, so it was, reminding myself that everyone I was going to interview was exactly like me. Mm-hmm. They, they were all human. Mm-hmm. They have all been new at something. They're all bleed red. Right. So right. when I really put into that context that there was really no difference between us, but maybe time, right. like maybe they had more experience in certain things, yeah. then it started to get easier. It started to, uh, it started to become more comfortable. I got more comfortable, um, even opening up more. And, you know, it just, right. you just notice the, how you're changing as time goes along. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you started mentioning that you have people that you looked up to that you've been able to interview, which one has been your more surprising. Yes. Guest that has told you yes that you brought in the show. I mean, you mentioned Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V and Ed Milet, and probably Lewis Howes is one, it's somewhere in there in, in that bunch, or yep. maybe some other big names, but who has been, or who would be your biggest surprise if they say yes to be on your show right now? Um, yeah, I mean, I think Gary would be awesome. I think you yeah. know, he's, he's a guy that if you, take what he says and you apply it, uh, his information works like every, every time, like in a lot of the stuff that he says, I'm like, Oh, I actually did it that way. I maybe didn't call it that, you know? So it just kind of almost validates things for you. So that, yeah, to have a guy, um, like him on the show, it would, it would be awesome, you know, cause I feel like I've consumed enough of his content that I know, you know, you feel closer, you know who they are. So being able to get that opportunity, that would probably be, That'd probably be awesome. So I right. would definitely be awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. You know, good leaders always create good leaders. And do you have any individuals to actually look up to? Who are your mentors? You mentioned one of them, but who who are? The yeah, yeah. It's, you know, uh, Brian Schulman definitely has been a mentor as far as you know the LinkedIn space. You know, mm-hmm. really um, helping me with a lot of things. Actually, um, David Meltzer really has. Uh, you know, become a mentor to me as well. He, I had him on the show and everything went well. And he started sending me, uh, uh, helping me get guests, you know, that, that he thought I would, would add value to my show and that I would add value to them. And that was really a big, that was a game changer, right? You have, you have somebody like that, that, um, their mission is to add value, but when they actually do that mission and you get to experience who they are, that it, it's very validating, you know, right. and it's very, uh, you just feel honored when people that are uh, in a position of influence right. um, that you get to be a part of that, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. That, that's a very valuable uh, relationship that kind of sprang from, you know, you pursuing this path. That's amazing. You know, what do you believe your superpower to be? If, if you, have one or if you don't believe you have one which superpower from any superhero would you select and why Uh, well i mean i think my superpower has always been 
um, communicating through stories. You know, I, I think that's one thing that I've always been able to do, even you know, thinking back to my childhood, you know. Um, but if there was a superpower that I could have, it would definitely be teleportation. Oh, wow. Um, because, okay. I mean, like, you know, there's some days you wake up and it's like, man, I wish I could hang with, hang out with my brother that's all the way across the country. Like, right. boom, you're there, right? Like, right. you can see any see anybody at any time in any place. So that would you be one seen, I would choose. Uh, the show Flash? The Flash? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you know the guy named Cisco in that show? Yep, yep, yep. He buys and he can teleport. Yep. And so that's kind of what we're talking about, right? Exactly, yep. Okay, fantastic. That's pretty cool. Uh, do you have any particular book, movie, or podcast that you believe has made an impact in your life and you wish more people actually would take advantage to benefit from it? Well, what's one of those that you could share with us? Yeah, so there's a book, um, and I, I use it in the six-month leadership program that I teach. It's called Learn Like a Leader, and uh, there's several different uh, – it's like a big compilation of stories from authors, and it gives you context into their journey. Um, and you learn a valuable lesson in every single chapter. So, uh, to me, you know, if I'm consuming anything, it's got to add value. Right. And that's a book like that book has added a lot of value to me. Um, the five dysfunctions of a team by, uh, Patrick Lencioni is another book that's that I enjoyed start with why by Simon Sinek, another book um, that I've enjoyed and emotional intelligence 2.0. Uh, another great one that actually gives you an EQ assessment you can take and populate your results and gives you context into how you can increase, you know, your awareness, your management, your, um, you know, relationship management, as well as your social setting. So that's a really, really good book as well. Awesome. And obviously, you know, Gary B's podcast, you know, that would be something. That oh, absolutely. Yeah. The Gary right B there. audio experience, <laughs> Dave Meltzer's the playbook, right. Heather Monahan's confidence creator. Those are, those are ones that I, uh, right. uh that definitely you would, you listen to on your Yeah. I listen, I listen to them, you know, um, it's, it's, very, it became very surreal when, you know, you get your podcast alerts and your own show pops up next to these people, oh, right? Wow. I know it's not yeah. next to them, but right. on my phone it is. So you, it, is. it looks, <laughs> it looks cool. You know, your logo pops up there. Um, right. But no, you know, they, you know, all of those people are super inspiring. And I think, right. you know, I think the important thing that, that I learned uh, because I, there's plenty of times in my life where I didn't take action or I didn't know what direction I wanted to go in. Yeah. And so uh, I tell people, a lot of people all the time, you know, when you create action, that action turns into momentum. The momentum shifts to consistency and that consistency is what creates results. Exactly. And when you can do that uh, continuously, because everything's about repetition, repetition when you can do it, yeah then uh, magic things start to happen, right? When you start to take action. So that's, uh, you know, that's advice I try to give people as often as I can, because listen, I, I've been that, I've been the stagnant person. Yeah, I've been the person that um, maybe was afraid to take certain, that leap. I think yeah. all of us to a certain degree are stagnant at some point. Yeah. So, you know, if we heed advice from others and we start moving forward, it might be slow at first, but as you repeat and repeat and repeat you start building momentum and you start getting more confident and you start going a little faster and then you start seeing more results on whatever you want to achieve so that's that's really cool advice that being said what is your definition of success at this point you know you've achieved 
getting your own podcast. You've achieved being a senior manager, a professional training individual at a high corporation level without really having a college education where you beat out a whole bunch of other individuals. So that's success in itself. You have a beautiful family that you live over in the East Coast with. But right now, what is your definition of success? Well, honestly, I mean, I've had some some wins, but I don't think I've truly achieved it yet. You know, okay. I don't feel like I'm I don't feel like I'm there yet. I feel like I'm on the journey, mm-hmm. you know, and um, every journey has different seasons in the journey. So I feel like I'm I feel like I'm in a good season right now, right? Um, and uh, and so you know, for me, what success looks like is being to impact as many people with the message that I have, you know, whether, you know, I've been doing since COVID hit, I've been doing a lot of speaking engagements at virtual summits. And that's been so amazing, just sharing some of my story with other people and, um, you know, getting feedback from people of how, wow, like, you know, I can't believe that happened to you or man, you made me, you're making me look at things a little bit differently. Like to me, that's everything being able to help, other people achieve success. So that's what, you know, I love coaching people and, you know, taking somebody that feels like they're stuck, but realizes that um, if they make a couple little tweaks or a couple, you know, shift their perspective in a certain way that uh, they can be and do the things that they want to do. Like that's to me what success looks like. It's it's, it's much less about me winning, right? It's great. It's great that I have these things, but when you, when you have things and when you have a platform to me, it's, it's being able to add that back to other people and help them out as well. Wow. That's fantastic. Yes. So being able to help other people achieve their success, that is what success for you looks like. That's what it looks like. That's awesome. You know, this last question, I really enjoy asking every single guest that I have in the show because I want you to imagine that you can go back to that 12, 13 year old boy who is a seventh grader playing that Mortal Kombat 2 with your favorite character in that video game console. And I want you to ambition that you can buy yourself back and go and teleport to that time. What would you tell that individual at that exact moment right after he gets released from the police car that could definitely help you get to where you're at or get to where you envision your success to be a lot faster. If you can share three pieces of advice for that child, what would it be? Um, you know, I would say that um, everybody makes mistakes. Um, uh, you're going to grow from this and don't take it personal. No, I, th- I think that's probably the best advice that I uh, could, could give to them because uh, I think I probably did all the, the did all the opposites, you know, at certain, at certain points. So that would probably be uh, what I would say. Right. No, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, those pieces of advice with us. Thank you for, you know, making time to be on the show tonight. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You know, I want to acknowledge you for being such a giving individual for striving to be successful, for striving to actually support other individuals to achieve their success, which in turn turn into your successes. So I really want to acknowledge you for that. And everybody, I want you to follow, you know, Jordan's podcast, Blazing Your Own Trail. That is essentially 
uh, a really good podcast. So follow Jordan. I will go ahead and leave his LinkedIn account so you can connect with him, reach out to him, and make sure that you ask him any questions and be able to allow him the honor of helping you and supporting you. With that being said, I want to thank everybody, the audience for Success Innovation. This has been a really awesome experience with me with uh, talking to Jordan. This has been Lázaro Herrera from Success Innovation. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Thank you for finishing another wonderful episode with Success Innovation. Today we learned so much about Jordan Mendoza. We get to know him at a personal level. I personally was mesmerized with his story about being a young boy and how he was always ready to hustle. It was motivating to hear him speak about Bless Your Own Trail and how he strives to help others along the way with his venture. Thank you, Jordan Mendoza, for all you do. This is Lázaro Herrera for Success Innovation. See you next time. Bye-bye.